0: Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People, I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that connects people struggling with STI stigma to mental health resources. And let me also point out that you don't have to be struggling with uh, with your mental health, uh, navigating the stigma in order to be connected to these resources. Um, If it's something that you feel perhaps alone in, or if you need additional support, that you may not have known you needed or if there's just like something there and you want to explore this then this is a really safe space to reach out and get connected to not only therapy group therapy or individual but also just community so if you're looking for any type of support groups or social groups as we transition into things opening back up in the world then feel free to reach out and hopefully we can find you something that is a fit for you and where you are um, in terms of navigating your diagnosis at all. All right, tonight's guest, we got Rita. Rita, how you feeling? Good.
1: I'm actually really excited to be a part of this.
0: Good, good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, I messaged you or you messaged me actually directly. And well, before you before we started, you had a question for me. Um, You want to go ahead and ask that question, and then we'll go into, like, how you reached out and what we ended up talking about through Instagram.
1: Definitely. So, yes, the question I had was, um, so I tested as, when I first tested, I tested as positive, and then the subsequent test after that was equivocal, and then after that was equivocal. And so I feel like I'm kind of an in-between where, like, the doctors are like, you're negative, you can't give it to anyone, but I have the antibodies. And so I guess my question is that how does someone who isn't equivocal, who's not necessarily part of the community, but also not part of someone who would consider themselves negative, kind of fit in in this kind of community? Um,
0: in my experience, so I tested negative, negative about a few years before I actually had a symptom and tested positive. And what I noticed was that there was a presence of antibodies, it's not that it was zero, it was just less than the amount that I needed in order to test positive. So I constantly ask this question, like is it repeat exposure that makes you have an outbreak or is it longevity of the virus in your system that makes you have an outbreak? Or are these two things that don't even factor in at all? Because clearly it went from what the viral load antibodies were to me being able to experience outbreaks and have a positive test result. So as far as like being equivocal goes, I'm curious to know what was the time frame in between your two tests for you to have tested equivocal? Yes
1: this i've tested negative kind of all my life i've always just kind of made sure that i got tested for herpes i tested negative and then i really wasn't intimate with too many people last year um and so that happened around i think my first test was in november and um i tested as positive and so i reached out to the people that i was intimate with they were all turns out that they were all positive for HSV one and, and i was tested positive for HSV 2 so, but the doctor was like, Your antibodies are so low that you should get tested again. So I got tested again, and that second test was in February. And um then they said that it was equivocal. So it was just very low, not low enough to be considered a positive, but considered equivocal. And then I tested again just like with my normal gynecologist. Um, because I had just I had to check up anyway, so I was like, let me just get tested again in March and it was equivocal again so in that case the doctors basically stated that unless I have an outbreak or unless I my antibodies ever go up I will be considered a clue so.
0: and I don't know that that means that you're not able to pass it on or that it means that you'll never have an outbreak that's this is a tricky situation because like you got tested you've known your status because you specifically requested herpes which I'm curious to know why did you ask for herpes testing to be done
1: um so my mom's a nurse so let me start by that like my sex ed although sex ed failed me and I didn't learn a lot I mean more than as much as I should have I, my mom went into every single thing, like, was like, this is what the pregnant part looks like, these are STIs, these are different things, just because it's herpes doesn't mean that you're going to get it sexually, like, some people get it as a child, etc., 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 um, so I've always known, like, there are certain things that are not tested in STI results, and, um, I've always kind of had, like, my doctors considered me kind of a hypochondriac because I'd always have a fear of like having something like I'm going to have something. I always come with a whole list. So in order to just kind of calm my own nerves of like, Oh my gosh, because you always get that fear of like, Oh, what if I have HIV? Or what if I have herpes? And they don't know. And they, they thought they didn't have it. Or they said they were negative, but they might not be negative. And like, in order to calm my own nerves, I do it just regularly for that.
0: When you ask for testing regularly, are you met with any resistance at all?
1: So, most of the times, I do it through Quest Diagnostic, and I just chuck up that $300 in... But um, with this gynecologist that I have now, I didn't get any resistance. I told them I wanted to be tested for everything, and I specifically said herpes and HIV. Um, she's like, are you sure? I guess that was a little bit of resistance, but I was like, yes. And then I had to sign something to be tested for HIV. So.
0: Oh, I think that what you had to sign was a release waiver that if you test positive for HIV, they have the right to treat you immediately. Mm-hmm. Like they can put you on treatment
1: yeah. immediately. But I can test, like, so um, I test myself for HIV a lot anyway. Well, not a lot. But, like, I'll test myself um, every couple of months um, through quick. You know, you can buy that on, like, Walgreens or CVS and things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, You said you were a hypochondriac, but I'm curious to know, is there any particular reason why, um, why so adamant about HIV? Or why so adamant about STIs, period, with your testing routine? Um...
1: So when it comes to, no, I'm going to have a contract for everything. Okay. Um, let me clarify that. Like, I literally will go to the doctor and be like, my leg hurts and it's been hurting for like, and it's here. And then the next day it was, it was hurt on the other leg. Does that mean that it's cancer? Like, I'm like a hundred contract as a whole. Um, I am always super interested in HIV. I've always just was curious about it. I learned about it at a super early age. Yes, there was a lot of fear and stigma around it, um, but I was just always curious about it. So I just, I don't know. I know like you could live a normal, healthy life with any SDI, um, but those are the ones that get the most stigma, right? Those are the ones
0: that you are taught to fear, basically. Yeah. Okay. I was just curious as to why that was, and even with chalking up that three hundred dollars for that herpes test on a regular basis too, like that's that's expensive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was three hundred for all the testing,
1: but yes, definitely, right. it's ex- it is expensive.
0: Okay. So this wasn't three hundred dollars exclusively just for, for herpes. Okay. No, no. All right, got um, it. Um,
1: for like the normal panel, which is like you know the syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia. Um, and hepatitis and I think is it was like 200 it was like an extra 100 for the herpes which
0: is crazy you said it way better than I do <laughs> I can never say that word I just be like trick 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 trick. I just leave it at trick <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah All right. so navigating this space of uncertainty you don't know if you have it you don't know if you don't have it like um, and this was in was this this year because right now it's June so
1: it's, yeah test was this year
0: okay so wait are you positive or are you still equivocal
1: still equivocal so ah. i was positive last year and then for the next following um phone two confirmation tests were equivocal
0: okay so i'm uh, i'm curious like do you tell partners that you tested equivocal do you tell partners like they might get herpes from you even though you haven't <sighs> tested positive for it or had an outbreak uh yeah i, I haven't run into this before
1: been an interesting uh, conversation that I kind of tried to figure out myself this is still really new to me and dating in general to be honest with you is new to me Um, so um, I was a late bloomer but um so at first I once I saw that I was equivocal, I like bought medicine. Even though I'm not having outbreaks, like that's the type of person I am. I'm like I bought medicine, I did all the additional researches, I added myself to all the positive groups. I um and then when I talked on the phone with people, I just would tell them I'm asymptomatic, HSV positive. Like I would just just tell people I was HSV positive. Um then I think I've had one instance where I actually mentioned I'm equivocal. And ironically, that was the one time that it went unfavoring for me. So, hmm. and, but I'm realizing that a lot of people don't know what equivocal is. Mm -hmm. Right. And in their head, from my understanding, or at least from the feedback that I've been getting is like, well, equivocal means you're. If you have antibodies, you're positive anyway. Like it doesn't you
0: know matter. What? Let me let me tell you this. I think someone you're telling that to is going to err on the side of caution. Whereas yeah. if uh, people who get maybe an equivocal diagnostic or an equivocal diagnosis, they may look at it and be like, oh, it's not positive. All right, going about my business. Uh, I can uh, I can probably see more people being that way than really psychoanalyzing like or not psychoanalyzing but really analyzing what the details are in a sense of damn all right this is equivocal it's not positive it's not negative blah 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 and then running through all these scenarios in your head of what if what it could be like more people more often than not i am confident will just be like it ain't positive wash my hands with it
1: yeah As I said, when I was just telling people I'm asymptomatic, HSV positive, like, people were still wanting to be intimate with me. Um, And I think when I first got the diagnosis, I was just telling people, because I, there was, even though I knew, like, logically, that herpes is a skin disorder, it's super popular, super common, the stigma did get to me, right? My ego did get triggered a little bit in that, and I wanted to feel sexually wanted in that way and so when um I first started telling people and they're like okay well I don't care I'll just be intimate with you um I was just like okay cool not that I was like sleeping with a whole bunch of people but at that time I was like okay cool because this person actually still wants me even though this is stigmatized and I'm gonna be honest at first I did feel a little bit like not necessarily dirty but I felt contagious mm-hmm. right and so um, but now I'm realizing that if I want to sleep with someone and I want them and I want an actual relationship with them, regardless, we both, I shouldn't be the only one disclosing. We both should be looking at SDI results together. We both should get tested together. And I think there's a sense of confidence that comes with that now, like before, especially as a female, um, we could, t- we tend to kind of sometimes get in these sexual situations and being like, I don't kind of, I don't really want to do this, but I want to, I do want to say no, um, but now I'm way more confident in who I am and I deserve better. And I need to be aware of what I'm putting in my body. Be, I mean, food and like sexually, I need to be aware of that. And so I shouldn't be the only one who's disclosing. You need to show me your results because most of the time your results are just going to be chlamydia, syphilis and gonorrhea. And it was, what, four or five months ago? How so you, you may not know and you may be positive for something as well. How old are you? Me? I'm about to be 30. Oh,
0: okay. I was like, dang, you young to be like, so on top of this and so knowledgeable about it. What's your career? What's your profession? I'm a therapist.
1: Okay. I'm a marriage
0: and family therapist. Okay. Um, Was there any training for you or any classwork that you've done around STIs? Or is it just your mom's experience as a nurse that has kind of guided you to being as knowledgeable as you are?
1: Um, there wasn't any training, a lot of the training I did on my own, right, so I did get that basic conversation with my mom, but even with my mom being kind of a Christian, being like, uh, in the South, there wasn't full, full details on that, right, it was just like, these are STIs you can get, this is common, you can get it even without having sex, there still was a little bit of fear mongering in that, um, but I'm that type of person that wants to look up every single thing and look and find every single thing. And not just on WebMD. Like I look in the nursing books. I look in like all these different things on my own. That's how I learned so much about HIV. That's how I learned so much about PrEP and PEP and Truvada and like antivirals. Like, Oh my, most of that's been on my own.
0: Yeah. All right. I appreciate that. Like that, that really excites me that you have this um, eagerness to educate yourself and it really does give me hope for people who come after us, especially listening to this podcast episode, for people to just know that you can self-educate so that you can advocate for yourself. You know, you go in and you know that you aren't being tested for herpes and HIV, especially as a woman, considering that y'all aren't at risk for HIV, whatever that means. Right. Um They, you know, to ask these questions, you know, to ask them, hey, I would like to be tested for herpes and I want to be tested for HIV and you know what else you've been tested for. So that's uh, yeah, that's that's I, I guess, like, do you have any sort of guidance for someone who perhaps doesn't know how to seek out information? Um, like for you, you have your mom as a nurse and then you went about it. Like, I want to know everything. So is that just you being a hypochondriac or is this something that we can transfer over to people who aren't?
1: Um, yeah, well, yes. Part of it is being a hypochondriac and just being super inquisitive about everything. Like I was the type of person who would read books and learn about a disorder. I'm like, Oh, like the Benjamin Button thing. Like that's an actual disorder. And I like looked it up and that was me. What I will say is this. There's a lot of misinformation on the internet, and you are going to see. It's kind of like when you do a survey, right? You're going to see something on the far left and a lot of stuff on the far right, but you're not going to see a lot of the like real hardcore facts. Sometimes when you're on the internet, what I would say is this: when you, if you're diagnosed with it or you're wanting to learn more about a specific type topic, go to Google Scholars and look for peer review. Look up actual articles, look up actual resources and, like, results and conclusions to these things. Because those are going to be the facts.
0: Okay. All right. I'm going to try and make sure to put that in the show notes as well for people to look for um, scholarly reviewed articles. Is that what we would call it? Uh Okay. Okay. Cool.
1: And I actually... I kind of got a little bit prepared for this okay. but I actually looked up two of them and I, I'll talk about them later on when we get into the further conversation that we had on Instagram.
0: Yeah we can do that now I didn't know it was going to be at the 17 minute mark before we got there so we can go ahead and get into the conversation
1: Okay so you want me to just kind of go over the story that I encountered yes. yeah. Okay so, um, so the story that was, I'm in this all-girls group on Facebook, and they talk a lot about using bow tracks and having cold sores and using Abreva to kind of deal with that. So in that conversation, I brought up, well, how do you guys feel about disclosing when you have cold sores? And the reason I asked that specific question is because I'm in a lot of HSV groups, And that is the huge number one question you hear with people who have HSV, especially genital. How do I disclose? Disclosure is the hardest part. Like, that is the fear. So I asked someone, you know, being on this other side of cold stores, how do you guys feel about disclosure in that way? And I got a lot of misinformed responses um varying from well transmission is rare if you're not having an outbreak you can't give it to anyone if you're not in an active outbreak Um, you you can't pass it on sexually it's not considered an STI Uh, doctors don't test for it so why should I say anything and um, one person even admitting that they transmitted it to somebody their partner, and they tested positive for it, but they don't have it because they don't have any symptoms. And then one, oh, one more person said, well, you should be responsible for your own health and there shouldn't be disclosure for anything. People are responsible for your own health, which I I don't necessarily agree. I think disclosure should have, have a conversation, but I can at least respect the fact that, okay, you're responsible for your own health. We both look at STI results and that's what it is. But the rest of those comments felt very much muddled in stigma, muddled in cognitive dissonance, muddled in miseducation, you
0: know? Yeah. Uh, I'm not surprised. A lot of that sounds like denial. Like it's just flat out denial for people to say... You need to be responsible for your own health. And again, this is a HSV group or is this a women's group?
1: This is a regular group. Okay. They they're just girls in the group who have mentioned that they have cold sores.
0: Yeah, like that's a that's something that I feel like people throw out there to fill out, like, oh yeah, I get cold sores and kind of look around and see who makes a face because they know that cold sores are herpes. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it, I hope my face is kind of giving the impression that I'm trying to make here. But um, like throwing it out there to just fill it out and see what kind of backup or support you'll be able to get after making uh-huh. a comment. Is someone going to be like, Oh, I get cold stories all the time? Let somebody be like, Oh, yeah, I got genital herpes. Ain't nobody going to jump up and be like,
1: it's It gets real oh. awkward and quiet.
0: Yes, exactly. And people don't know how to take it. People perhaps don't know how to, um, How to, like, if they want to share or how to share or they don't know what to say. Like, people just don't know what to do or say if someone were to um, offer that. But it is just unfortunately so stigmatized to have the same exact virus with the same exact symptoms, with the same exact treatments from one location to another. And the stigmatization really revolves around how we don't talk about sex in that... Yes. Oh, oh yeah. you want to add to
1: it? <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. I 100% agree. Like That was one of the things I was ta- um, thinking about when I just thought about all of the kind of contributing factors to this. Because the girls, those same girls who said they don't need to say anything for cold sores were like, but if someone has genital herpes, even if it's asymptomatic, they have to say something. Yeah. So, it's this idea that at the core of it, herpes is a skin disorder, and the fact that it is in your private region people get uncomfortable about it. Sex is so taboo, right? There's this idea of, like, even, like, when you talk about body count, right? Oh, I've only been with three people, or I've only been with four people, and especially I'm only speaking from a female's perspective, but I think as a whole, that conversation comes up. It's like, oh, well, a girl has been with three people. Oh, no, well, she's, she's out there. She's a hoe, or she's whatever. And there's so much fear around just sex, and the tabooness of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a big contributing factor to
0: it. Yeah. And I'm curious to know, too, is this a minority people of color women's group? No. Okay, so it's just like... Is there like a... Can you give me the overview of what kind of women are in this group?
1: Yeah, so um, they're primarily Caucasian, and most of the people who are responding were Caucasian, and they're basically... Between the ages of, like, 23 and 32.
0: Oh, you don't like have to say age, the right? name of the group, but, like, what's the niche of the group?
1: The niche of the group is to be... Originally, it started off as a small little group of female friends. That um, live in a specific area. Most of them have moved. I've moved, but um, it to be support for one another. It has become a lot bigger now. It's, it's a larger group now, um, so it's not as supportive in that way. Um, but that was the whole point of it. It's called like "No Boys Allowed," where you can think about like boyfriends and drama and stuff like that.
0: Okay, I was just curious because um, I was wondering like what the tone could have been about it because. Um I, in private conversations, like we're black, the conversation is different for black people. It's different for um, minorities, people of color than it is for white people. Um, And I was just curious to know, like, if there are any parallels that we can look at from how these conversations are being had in different ways. Um, Typically... The response from the black people that I've spoken to is, I don't want to tell anybody this. I don't want to tell anybody about this. I don't know black people with cold sores or anyone who's disclosed to me that was black and had cold sores. It's never been something that was talked about. I can't even think of anyone that I've seen with them, to be honest. And then when we talk about cold sores with uh in in the i don't want to say in the white community that was a weird thing to say for some reason but with uh white people if you see it it's more like pointed out or called out and it's like oh it's no big deal i just got cold sore like just don't drink after me if you even get that and then um but when it's genital where's that like casualness you know and you know even with black people like i said if there's something present or I haven't had anyone disclose to me Um, but with genital herpes it's one of those things where it's like I want to avoid talking about this any, by any means necessary Like I don't want to talk about it And like if I absolutely have to I'm still going to try not to uh, But that's been like the majority Obviously I've spoken to um, There's Carolyn Toney uh, She's a black woman who's poly Yes poly I same. love her She's
1: yeah. Polly. I'm Polly. Yeah, uh, cool.
0: yeah Okay. Um Okay So okay I guess now that We broke through that Now we get to talk about this So when you
1: Wait before we t- your thing it's ironic that the that um you don't hear it in minorities because we are the highest for almost all sti uh, and it, i mean not even ironic as it makes sense but we're the highest like african american females are 65 percent more likely to get hsv um hsv2 regardless if they slept with one person or 20
0: yeah, like Yeah, we are the highest about?
1: for almost every single STI and then African American females are the just right below bisexual men for HIV so I just find that super ironic but I guess it makes sense because it's not being talked about right
0: yeah and even with uh, like we don't have anything that talks about men it's like women 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 but where are the men's representation even in the survey that I recently conducted for people living with HSV the men only accounted for 14 something percent of people who took the survey like they out here it's a matter of like i hate to put this burden on women on top of everything else but if y'all don't ask us to get tested before we have sex with you we won't do it
1: you hit it on the nail i was just about to talk about that like i know it may be anecdotal but statistics aren't showing as much African-American men because a lot of African-American men are not getting tested. I know African-American men right now who have not been tested in like five to six years and they're like, I'm good because nothing's showing up on my body and the girl's good because she's not nothing showing up on her body and I'm like, uh, all STIs can be asymptomatic. Like, that doesn't... (laughs) So, that doesn't mean anything. So, I, I... I think you hit the, the hell,
0: head on the nail on that one. Yeah, little do they know. Because, I mean, I had chlamydia and didn't know it was chlamydia until it turned into prostatitis. So, like, if I didn't go to the doctor because my pee just wasn't coming out fast, I'd have never known I had chlamydia. And who knows how that would have impacted me later because the symptoms could have gone away, but I would have still had the virus. Right? Mm-hmm. And it could have just gotten much worse, but I'm thankful that it didn't. And, like, I always have to tell, even black men that I've trained um, as gym clients, like... Hey, you should probably go to the doctor about that. It's not normal for you to have been in a car accident at age 14 and your knees just not been right ever since. And here we are. You telling me you want to be able to squat. You got to wear a knee brace and walk in funny. Dude, you got to go to the doctor. Even if it is like too late to fix it, you can at least find out what is wrong and prevent uh, further damage. And mm-hmm. it's, it's the same thing with mental health, but we ain't got to go into that. But <laughs> like, if ain't and nothing I broke, will we ain't fixing it. Part of
1: that, yes, it's not going to mental health because I have a whole bunch I can say about that. Um, but I will say part of that, some of it is kind of systemic resources, right? Like going to the doctor means you have to pay. I paid three hundred dollars to get tested, or and even when I go to the, the regular doctor, I still have to pay for additional testing. When and I have insurance. Right. So you think about disenfranchised groups and not having those financial resources or even having the education about those things that kind of contributes to that as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Um, oh, I wasn't going to let you slide away from this. So polyamory navigating polyamory with this middle disclosure that might or might not need to happen. It's so weird to be talking about an equivocal uh, diagnosis.
1: Yes, Um, and I will say that has hindered me a lot, because this is is fairly new for me. So it, it has hindered me in kind of pursuing more of these like polyamorous relationships that I would get into. I haven't quite explored that with the status that I have at the moment. And um, when I first found out about my status, it kind of pushed me to want to be more monogamous because it was like, well, I don't want to have to keep this to this many people. And what if the boyfriend wants me, like if I decided to be solo poly and what if the boyfriend wants me, but the girl doesn't. And then I have to explain this like, it really made things feel a lot more complicated for me, and, like, maybe I should just go and pick one person and not just disclose to that person and go from there. Um, But now, especially finding her out, um, I actually just started following her uh, probably, like, last week, actually um and kind of like looking at how she kind of does things and kind of navigates that world has kind of inspired me to continue doing what i was doing before Mm -hmm. and i am realizing that a lot of poly people people in the poly community at least um are a little bit more receptive to hsv and a little bit more like willing to Engage in someone who has HSV because they're like, well, I put myself out there. I know it's gonna, like, eventually I'll probably get HSV, and that's
0: then that's just what it is. Yeah, the attitude is just like, all right, cool, let's get it out the way then. (laughs) That's not, that's not, let me not lie like that. That's not always the case, but it's like once you got it, you can't get it again, you know? But um, being with multiple partners and having to date and disclose. Uh, To multiple people um, I think that the more options you have The less rejection hits The less impact rejection has And I've not been able to really put that into words before now um, But I, I find that to be the case If you disclose to multiple people I think that hearing no among yeses and maybes doesn't hit nearly as hard as when you try so hard to be everything for this other person you want to impress them on the first date you went above and beyond you got dressed up you bought everything and you just saying all the right things and then you go to disclose and they tell you no it's like shattering like it's 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 heartbreaking because you invested so much and you did it under this uh you had this like covert contract in your mind of if I present my value like this, then this person is going to choose me. They're going to overlook this flaw that I have and we're going to live happily ever after. And I don't think that's the case, man. I'm finding like the more real you can be in who you are and be real to other people and let them be who they are. That's what makes you look like That top notch person. People aren't looking for flashy, top notch, and all this other stuff. They're looking for real. And when you give somebody real, you know, they're either ready for it or they aren't. It's nothing to do with your herpes status. It's are they ready for real or are they not ready for real? And then going from there because an STI diagnosis is just real. You had sex. You are, if you have sex, you are probably going to come in contact with a potential infection, right? If you are breathing around people, you might get a cold. If you go to, like there, there's so many different things that just naturally happen, this being one of them. And people look at it like it's not natural. Like it's just this monstrous thing that only happens to people who do a negative, uh, something that has a negative association to it. And when we talk, when we break it down, it's really about sex. People view sex as a negative thing. So when there are no quote consequences and the risks are minimized, then it's fine. But whenever it's good sex and it comes with the consequence of, you know, something like an STI that you can't just cure or heal, that's gone, um, and now you have the possibility of passing it on to someone else, now it's all of a sudden an attack on your sexual identity, and that's really messed up. Yeah,
1: I, I 100% agree. I, you know, it's crazy because like people don't want to, I used to hurt, I guess, in the beginning feeling like, well, this person is raw dogging, excuse uh, me, like people just based off of vibes, but you don't want me who knows their status. And at this point I will do what I can do to not give you the status, but you're like, you probably have been, in co- based off of statistics alone, you have been in contact with someone who has hurt. That's just how it, that's statistics
0: alone. Let's say this, but uh, like I'll, I'll, let's take it one step a little bit deeper. You have probably had sex with someone who's had sex with someone who has herpes. If we can't say you've probably had sex with someone who has herpes, then it's possible that you had sex with someone who's had sex with someone who has herpes. Uh And if that's the case, you know, what does that say? You might get it. You might not get it. That person could have passed it on without even knowing that they had it. Like there are so many factors here at play. And we just can't get society on the same page about what herpes is, how herpes works, how people with herpes are people. And then they have herpes. They're not people with herpes and like that's their identity now. Nothing changes about us between the time that we have our interaction, our exposure, our um our concerns and then our diagnosis, nothing about who we are changes. And then when we get that diagnosis, it's like everything just flips upside down. And I really want people to get away from it. I'm so, I'm getting like fired up. I don't know where this came from. No. Keep talking. Like,
1: I 100% agree. It's like you were not, just like when someone's like, oh, I'm diabetic. No, you are not diabetic. You are somebody who has diabetes. Separate yes. yourself from the actual disorder or disease or virus that you have. You are still 100% that person who you were, all of these amazing things that you brought to the table, all of these, your beauty, all of that. You are the same person. Before and after, you will continue to be that person regardless of a virus or anything. Because you know what? There, you're not going to go through life. No one's going to go through life without getting at least one virus. A code is a virus. No one's going through life without getting something. I want to meet that person.
0: <laughs> I want to meet that person who made it through life without getting anything. That would be... Was the
1: bubble person. Be a, Wait, a bubble. Yeah,
0: they'd be like, yeah, I got this thing I developed called uh, bubble <laughs> That was so terrible. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so we got to talk about what you originally reached out about, right? Yes. Oh, okay, good. We already talked about it. All right, I wanted to make sure that we did um, before moving on. Um, It seems like this equivocal status is something worth exploring more. Like, Not necessarily in this episode, but something worth me bringing up. As I continue to get more information, like I just did this survey of 50 questions and there's a lot of stories that are told from the data that I've collected. And so I'm going to be presenting this to the health um, care community and I want I want answers like these questions that I've asked. All they really did was. Give us support for the qualitative data that comes through this podcast. So 1148 people having taken this survey has really helped because now I can say, hey, my podcast and this data reflect one another. So like the percentage of men, uh, the percentage of uh, black people. And the percentage of white people who have been on the podcast, like it is amazing to me how accurately this survey reflects the podcast. And so now I feel more confident when I speak to these things. I know what I'm talking about. I know that I can advocate on behalf of our community because this is what's reflected not only in these kinds of conversations where we're collecting qualitative data, but now on paper where there's quantitative data, where people are able to share who normally wouldn't even entertain a conversation out loud about herpes, but they're able to put themselves out there in a way that is going to be useful for how we challenge the stigma and just really uh, transition the overall conception or perception of the herpes virus and then people who are living with the herpes virus.
1: Yes, I actually did the survey, but there wasn't questions specifically for equivocal. So I just I labeled myself as positive asymptomatic. And then I, I can't remember, but I don't know if there was really a lot of questions on like follow up for medical professionals. Oh. I think that should be talked about as well, because from my experience, when I was told I was equivocal, or even the first time when I was told I was positive, it was just, oh, okay this is what it is. And it was, was, that was it. Like it was, this is common. And then that they moved on. There was like no in-depth conversation, no resources, no nothing. And then when I spoke with other people in the HSV community, they kind of echoed that same experience of, well, my doctor didn't even tell me I had to call again just to, to figure out where that result was for that. Or they called me and they said, Oh, you're good. And then, then, I asked them, I'm like, okay, but you didn't tell me about my status for the HSV. And then they
0: told them that they had it. Yeah. Uh, Follow up from the doctor. I didn't have that on there. Um, I I guess, like, I want to make sure that I state what my intention was with the survey. And it was really just to ask the questions that people from the community wanted answers to. And then with that information that came in be able to present this to the people who can get us the answers that I'm unable to get. So like when we talk about transmission rates, when we talk about, um, where we talk about like the effectiveness of antivirus. Like these are obviously things that I can't cover, but I can figure out who has HSV one or two. uh, What was your interaction like with the healthcare providers? How's disclosing for you? How do you respond to certain things? Were you, how was your mental health? These are the types of bits of information that I can bring to the table and go, hey, I know that all of the money is in HIV like that's that's great like we're doing something about that but like what about these people like suicide is an epidemic and when we look at this information um, there are people who've attempted suicide that took this survey and a huge number of people had suicide ideation. I don't remember exactly what the number is, so I don't want to butcher it, but I know that it was red and blue. It was either you did think about it or you didn't. And a lot of it was blue, which meant, yes, you thought about it. So there's something there to be said about why it's important for us to integrate these post STI diagnosis support resources with STD prevention efforts so that we have uh, something new that's integrated um, to give people what they need upon diagnosis to move forward in a way that allows for them to confidently disclose and know where to go if they need additional support and resources that the healthcare provider just isn't able to give them in that moment. Yes. Okay. Okay,
1: yeah, that makes sense
0: okay and we'll link to that survey well you can go to the website the survey's on there it's just gonna be there so if anyone wants to look at that download it um and Uh, yeah
1: well yeah i looked at a couple you know when i did it and then i saw i think i did it through there's like a link on youtube or something and i did it that way and then i saw some of your results on the instagram
0: so cool cool i appreciate that i'm glad that you uh took the survey and um you checked it out so I hope that it's something that's useful
1: yes um before I don't know if you're going to end the podcast soon but I did want to tell you the articles that I looked up that talked about HSV and um, HSV1 and HSV2 um and some of the things that I found in there was just basically referencing how nearly 60 percent of new genital herpes cases are from HSV1 Oh, and so can, the yeah. stigma of people being like, well, I'm HSV-1, and that's automatically deemed as cold source, um, you're realizing that it's it's not necessarily true. I mean, new cases are showing you that that's not true.
0: Yeah. Um, and that
1: was from a survey done in 2019.
0: Can you send me that? Uh, send me the, the articles that you have, and I will link those in the show notes. You don't have to do it now. You don't have to do it now. But just uh, okay. email the articles to me, and I'll link them in the show notes. Um, yeah. Was there more to that before I move forward?
1: Oh, no, that was it. I just wanted to make sure we didn't forget, because as we were talking about people needing resources and wanting to know like the st- actual statistics and what that looks like. Yeah. Um, okay. So I just wanted to make sure that we remember to put that in
0: there. <laughs> Perfect. Well, um... That is all I got for you. Um, Is there anything else you want to leave us with before I let you go? Rita?
1: Um, No. As I said, just kind of for anyone who is positive, realizing that you are still that amazing, great person that you are, you don't let someone's perception of you dictate how you feel about yourself. Realizing that every and this I think you've heard this before but a rejection is a redirection that person did not not need to be in your life at that moment and that's fine you will find someone who does love and care for you and will respect you and not treat you as a risk or someone dirty you will find that and that's fine you don't have to feel like you have to only date someone who is positive
0: yeah Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate your energy. And like I said, um, whenever you get a chance, just email me the articles and I'll link them in the show notes. All okay,
1: right. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this.
0: Thank you. Me too. I'm glad we were able to do this with such a quick turnaround time too. Right.
1: If you ever want to do it again, I know you have other people, but I'm always down.
0: <laughs> well, you're a therapist, so we'll, we're will we going to talk. Uh, we'll be in contact. <laughs> so. Okay, great. All right. Bye. 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 That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, subscribe to, share this podcast on whatever platform you listen on, and feel free to check us out at www.spfpp.org. You can check out the 2021 HSV survey uh, conducted by um, someone who does surveys for a living. She like helped me with creating it and getting the questions in a way that spit out charts and graphs and all that pretty stuff to support you in- disclosures and uh navigating stigma just giving your uh, uh, giving you an accurate um reflection of where we are today with our community you can donate to help us continue to pay for people to get therapy and uh yeah check out those exit interview episodes as well so that you can get a feel for what's going on in the group therapy and have an inside look at what we're doing at something positive for positive people till next time stay sex positive